Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. This Hello, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Oh, have I been looking forward to this conversation. Okay, you hear the cacophony in that marketplace of ideas, right? That's how we set up the program every day. Why do we do that? Not to have you turn and run the opposite direction, (laughs) but because you're told to go right smack dab into the middle of that mess. Remember, this idea built on John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Faithful, necessarily had to go through Vanity Fair. Bunyan's excellent term in the late 1600s for the marketplace of ideas. He called it Vanity Fair, and it really was where ideas were bought and sold. And like so many of us, Christian and Faithful went, no, although they said it in Old English. And Bunyan writes that they pulled their collars up around their faces, and they didn't want to be recognized. And so the merchants shouted out because they knew they were a little bit different. Uh, Can people identify you as a little bit different? Are you a follower of the way? Do you stand out a little bit? Are you living a life of authentic, distinctive Christianity? That'd make you stand out in this sin-sick fallen world, wouldn't it? Well, so they didn't want to be found out. And so the merchants started shouting out, bye, bye, bye. And what do Christian and faithful say in response? Well, when they finally stood up, stood up for Jesus and decided that they wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, They said, we only buy the truth. I love the response because it implies two things. Number one, they discerned. They knew the difference between a falsehood 
and truth. Can you? If there's anything we saints need in these latter days, it is an abundance of discernment and wisdom to be able to test all things, to sift and weigh, and not to be taken captive, as it says in Colossians, by vain and hollow philosophy predicated on this world rather than on the Word of God. Number two, it meant somebody was there with the truth. That's you and me, friend. That's you and me. So I've been looking forward to this conversation because this is about deception this hour. It's going to have on a really fancy three-piece suit. It's going to look oh so attractive to you, but it's really insidious. And it's worked its way into our culture, and sadly, it's worked its way into the front door of some churches in this country as well. We're going to talk about the New Age movement with a man who knows just a little something about this. Steve Bankars is with us. I want you to know that Steve is a former New Age teacher. Now, this is also why I get excited. I love to hear stories of people who can say, and such were some of you. I love to hear the stories of before Jesus and after Jesus and how it radically redefines your worldview and how you see things. This man was really into it. He was running one of the largest New Age websites in the world. There were about 200,000 views a day. That's big by any metric. He was a guest author on the most visited New Age site on the Internet. And then his life changed. And he is the co-author of a brand new book called The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches. Steve joins us from our neighbor to the north in Canada. Steve, thank you for the gift of your time. I am so looking forward to this. So I got to start at the beginning, which is why I stopped before 2015, because I want you to be able to tell that whole story. But I want to find out find out how you listened to the Pied Piper. What was it about the siren song of the New Age that drew you into this? What did you find appealing? Well, what I found appealing was that uh, I thought it was true, right? I thought the New Age movement held true beliefs about uh, the human soul, about the afterlife, about uh, various religion, religious traditions, about Jesus. I believed the New Age movement was true initially because I was seeing um, phenomenon and evidence that seemed to exceed the biblical worldview I had been raised with. I was born and raised in a Christian household, and I came across information, uh, in particular information about aliens, um, alien abductions, UFO phenomenon, and maybe even alleged evidence that mankind was visited in the past by, uh, by ETs. And I saw this on the history program. There was a program called Ancient Aliens, and uh, it's still on, the, on that channel, unfortunately. But this mm-hmm. is what drew me into the New Age movement, because I thought, okay, here's some information that I can't fit in, at least in my mind. I couldn't fit into the six-day creation narrative on what day did God create aliens. Did Jesus have to go to every single planet and die for their sins as well? And I wasn't hearing the church address this. I wasn't really getting sufficient answers from any Christian in my life. I had never heard this kind of information addressed by the church before. So what drew me in was this intrigue, this uh, deep interest in uh, supernatural phenomenon, paranormal phenomenon, parapsychology, um, fringe-type material that I thought blew Christianity out of the water just because I didn't hear it addressed from the pulpit uh, and in the church as I was raised a Christian. So that's what uh, drew me in uh, originally, and obviously I I know now by the grace of God that um, all of that stuff is, is completely false. And I want to get to that epiphany, if I can put it that way, in your life. But let me go back and let's talk about a term. For people who don't study comparative theology, who don't study different worldviews, they might say, New Age, what does that mean? So can you, is it possible, and can you give me a working definition of when we call it New Age religion, what that means? 
Yeah, I guess we could say that that New Age religion or New Age spirituality is a compilation of various pagan, mystical, and esoteric traditions and beliefs that draw from uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, paganism, and the occult, and endorses practices like crystal healing, Reiki, uh, meditation, yoga, and astral projection. So it's basically a mixing pot of spiritual beliefs that uh, New Age practitioners can kind of draw from at will. Uh, with the ultimate goal of reaching what they would call a state of enlightenment or a spiritual awakening, uh, which usually refers to a, a state of realization that man is intrinsically divine uh, by nature. And uh, what, what's concerning, Jan, is that uh, right now in the country of America, there was actually a recent study that came out October 1st from the Pew Research Center, and what they found there was that uh, 62% of the American population holds at least one New Age belief, and Ooh. they only tested for four beliefs. They only tested for the belief that there's spiritual energy within nature, that psychics offer reliable insight into the future in astrology and in reincarnation. There's scores of New Age beliefs, and 62% of the American population holds one out of the four that were tested. But what was also really scary, Jan, is that uh, 61% of professing Christians in the study also held at least one of these beliefs. And if you were to incorporate all the other New Age beliefs, such as the belief in karma or yoga or the belief in pantheism or the belief that man is somehow in intrinsically divine or, or that all paths ultimately lead back to God. You're looking at, I don't know, what, 85% of professing oh. Christians hold at least one New Age belief. It's an extremely prevalent oh. movement right now. And as you said, it is taking over our culture. Wow. Oh, I told you this was going to be a good hour. And I promise I'm not going to be selfish. I will open the phones. But let me ask Steve to give us some more working information here. And then you'll have more specific questions as we go along. Steve is the co-author of a brand new, stunningly important book called The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America. That's us today. And it's churches. One in four. Wow. Unbelievable. Back with this. God's work in your life has prepared you with a unique message to share and a problem to solve. That truth is why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. God uses you to point to His goodness and to give you meaning and purpose. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I think this is a fascinating conversation, and it's clear that Steve Bankars knows his stuff. But such were some of you. We haven't gotten to that great part of Steve's story, but I want to give us some working knowledge first as we realize that the New Age movement, as Steve starts out in this book, The Second Coming of the New Age, is not new at all. When you heard this amalgamation of all these different religions, you understand there's some ancient concepts there. But Steve, you write, and this is particularly chilling, especially coming off of that Pew statistic that you just gave, that there is, in fact, an intersection between the New Age movement and occultism. Can you explain what that linkage is, please? Yeah, well, it actually was founded by an occultist. The New Age movement was uh, founded by someone named Helena Blavatsky in the late 1800s. She is dubbed the mother of the New Age movement um, by any professor of religion. She is uh, known as being the one most responsible for Eastern mysticism and occult topics being popularized uh, in the West. And so here's someone who was a Luciferian. Here's someone who says, and I quote, Satan is the god of our planet and the only god. Here's someone who says Satan, the enemy of God, is in reality the highest 
this divine spirit, she actually started a magazine called Lucifer, uh, where she began to teach oh. this stuff publicly uh, in the West. And what's really concerning is uh, there's a, a man named Anton LaVey. Okay, here is a, uh, the founder of the Church of Satan, the author of the Satanic Bible. He accuses the New Age movement of stealing its, ide- its ideas and its practices from Satanism. He says right here, he says, what if Satanists reclaimed these New Age practices for their own dark purposes and integrated them into rituals dedicated to the devil where they rightfully belong? New Agers have freely drawn upon all manner of Satanic material, adapting it to their own hypocritical purposes. New Age labeling is, again, trying to play the devil's name without using his infernal name. And the reason why this is a, a Luciferian practice by nature is that it goes back to the very lie told to Eve in the garden, that through some kind of special knowledge that you don't have right now, through special knowledge, you can become like God, or you can become as the God, as it says in the King James Version. So this is really the oldest lie told to mankind, that divinity can be stepped into and achieved through knowledge. And for at least 6,000 years, this lie has tempted the egos of mankind. And unfortunately now, here's the the problem now, it's not not a snake in a garden teaching this stuff. Now it's New York Times bestselling authors teaching this stuff, right? Now it's Russell Brand. Now it's Jim Carrey. Now it's Oprah Winfrey. Now it's Deepak Chopra. Now it's Eckhart Tolle. And they're teaching the same lie verbatim that God, the enemy of God, used to bring death and sin into the world in the first place. Oh, boy, you're so spot on, and I couldn't agree with you more. I'm wondering if the subtext of this, particularly as you were talking about this intersection between the occult and you went back to Genesis 3, that great first lie that is still so effective to this day, it seems that the elixir here, Steve, is power. It's what Satan has always promised, and the power of finding that you are God, that the spark of the divine, to use the language of the New Agers, resides in each and every one of us, and hey, if it does that, then I must be like God. So it's this intoxic—it's what started the rebellion out of heaven, it's what caused us to step out of the garden. It's the same uh, tool that the great deceiver has always used. It's the promise of power. But what I find interesting is the gullibility of mankind. All we like sheep, apparently. So if I check this part of my chakra, if I have this crystal, if I put this particular light on, if I sit under this particular tent, this power comes. Are we that gullible? Um, we really are that gullible, and, and unfortunately, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're going to be prone to deception. But in a culture where we have like atheistic Darwinianism being taught uh, in education systems, that's the default position, is that there's nothing beyond nature. There's nothing beyond molecules and motions. They have that on one side, and then on the other side, they have um, Christianity, which they believe. People who aren't Christians think most of the time that Christianity is like some dry religious system. Avoid the things you want to do and do all the things you don't want to do so that you can, you know, avoid hell one day. Maybe you'll be good enough to get to heaven, you know. They associate it with being like grandma's religion, some kind of spiritually dry, lifeless uh, uh, rhetoric. And so here come the New Age teachers now, and and in one hand, they have instant supernatural experiences handed out to you in the form of psychedelics, transcendental meditation. And on the other hand, they're saying, hey, you know, you're God by nature. You share in the being and the substance of God. The universe is made of the being and substance of God. That means God is your innermost identity. And there's no moral accountability uh, going along with this movement. So here you can have all the supernatural experiences. The Bible says we have eternity put into our heart, right? We're made in the image of God. We're supernatural creatures. We crave a supernatural understanding and experience of the world. And people who aren't in the church, they don't know the church. You know, I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, who the Holy Spirit was before I came to Christ. I didn't know that there was a ministry of the Holy Spirit that I could step into and receive uh, an actual personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here come the New Age teachers now to give you all the supernatural 
natural experiences and theories and philosophies that your soul by nature wants to get its teeth on. And with no more moral accountability in the mix of that, it's very, very tempting and very appealing. Oh, such an accurate description. So 2015, your life changes dramatically. You went from darkness to light. How did that happen? Yeah, well, I was uh, born and raised in a Christian household, uh, homeschooled under a Christian curriculum, went to a Christian private school, in and out of the church. Uh, as I said, I got into the topic of aliens. That was really the gateway and the rabbit hole into uh, fringe-type material where I started to get my hands on what's called contact material, where these ETs actually give information to mankind. Obviously, we believe they're interdimensional and, and entities such as demons or fallen angels. Um, but I started to get my hands on this material. I started to believe and teach this kind of material online. I had a Facebook page called Spirit science and metaphysics, which um, had, you know, over half a million followers on it. And in January of 2014, as a culmination of all my research that I had been doing for years and years, uh, I decided to make a website. And because I had this really large network of Facebook pages uh, that I had access to, I was sharing my articles on these Facebook pages. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the program, hundreds of thousands of views a day. People are really, really thirsty for uh, for the supernatural. It was actually articles on the afterlife that seemed to do uh, the best. They would have millions of shares on these articles. And mm. for me, this resulted in forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a month that I was making in ad revenue. Um, I was living in a 4,000-square-foot house at age 22. I was living the dream. I thought this was God blessing me for waking up humanity to a higher state of consciousness. I thought this was God's favor on my life. I remember I was sitting in my sports car that I bought cash, and I, I remember thinking, I said to my father, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given unto you as well. I thought I was partnering with God for the good of humanity. But it wasn't until my sin started finding me out and I started to really have to face myself for the broken, sinful vessel that I was. Um, I fell at the feet of Jesus one night and uh, he encountered me. I encountered him. I was born again. And that's when my walk with Jesus really began. Wow. I want to explore that just a little bit more. You were such a pro. You heard the music and I know that you wanted to wrap it up, but let me linger a little bit longer on that magnificent change that happened in your life. 877-548-3675. When I open the phone lines, you can ask questions. Has this worked its way into your heart, your life, your church? We'll talk more. What a privilege to spend time with Stephen Bankars. He is the co-author of a new book entitled The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches. Steve did a great job of rattling off some of the New Age prophets a little while ago. Household names, but their message is deadly. By the way, you know what I I absolutely love about this is not just that the book is so well-researched and documented, but this goes to something I talk about a lot, which is the intersection between ethos and pathos. You've got the credibility, Steve, because you did the homework, but the pathos comes from the fact that you were there, and now you're not. And since that conversion in 2015, you have spent your life in full-time apologetics ministry, and it shows bright and clear. Let me go back to sitting in the sports car talking to your dad, thinking that somehow, hey, I put God first, and this is what happened. How did that encounter with Jesus take place? Right. Well, I was, you know, like like we talked about earlier on the program, uh, this was my career. I was doing this full-time, hundreds of thousands of views a day on, on my website. I was a guest author for the largest New Age website in the world. 
making forty, fifty thousand dollars a month, thinking, okay, this is the universe, God blessing me with abundance. And, and during this time, I was extremely uh, wicked. I was just an evil person, uh, full of greed, pride, a compulsive liar, compulsive cheater. Uh, anyone who comes out of this industry will be able to testify to the moral and spiritual hypocrisy of New Age teachers. It's far from being um, free of brokenness and evil. So I, I reached this point where I had to start confessing sins to people in my life. My sins started finding me out. And uh, when I really hurt someone and I really had to come to terms with that, my mother was finally like, okay, Steve, are you ready to give your life to Jesus yet? And, you know, up until this point, I was really suppressing intuitions and sympathies I had toward the person of Jesus. It's interesting. New Age teachers always try and go out of their way to account and debunk and invalidate Jesus and his ministry. They never try and do that for Buddha and Muhammad. They just have this really (laughs) big interest to try and explain away the person of Jesus. That always stuck out to me as a red flag. Why did they, why is he such a threat to them? So anyway, I decided to say a prayer with my mother to say, okay, I'm going to give Jesus more of a chance. I'm going to be honest with the person of Christ. I want him as he is. Two weeks passed by, nothing really changed, um, though I had to confess another round of sin in my life. And when I confessed this, um, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than I, I saw um, just I was absolutely broken, absolutely broken, absolutely faced with my wickedness, with my own evil. And uh, I went outside on the back balcony of my house one night, and I fell out my face, fell on my face before him, and I was just weeping and crying and repenting, asking for forgiveness, reaching out to him with everything I have. I'm done. I'm done being Lord. I'm done being God over my own life. And uh, I was just crying there, weeping there. And as I did this, the atmosphere started to change, and I could feel his presence start to fill the atmosphere. It was a, a thick heavy presence that was personal, divine, loving, authoritative. And I knew I was in the presence of Jesus of the New Testament. This is the Jesus I was suppressing in unrighteousness. And I knew he was Lord over me, over all of creation. It actually sounded like creation itself was crying out when he was there, as if in the spirit, Mm -hmm. creation recognized the presence of its creator, of its maker, when he was there with me, when his presence was there with me. And I was like, if creation itself cries out to Jesus, who am I to deny him? And so I went back into my house. I was born again, filled with the spirit. And I, I quit my job the next day, sold my house, sold my car, and never wrote another New Age article from that point forward, and went into, <laughs> as you said, full-time, <laughs> full-time Christian apologetics ministry. And uh, I, I repented online. I told people, I'm sorry for leading you into deception. This is all a scheme against the cross to keep you from salvation in Christ. It's all demonic in nature. Oh, wow. And I began to try and explain this to people. And as you can imagine, some of the reactions were very, very intense, to say the least. I saw an interview that you did with CBN, and I wept. I'll be real transparent with you as a brother in the Lord, because you said, sitting on that back of your house, it was just like your focus was 2020. The clarity in the world that you were seeing around you changed like that when you felt that the Lord came into your life. And what an amazing thing that is. But what I love is the fact that you didn't even wait. That's immediate transformation. You stopped everything, wanted to tell people the difference between darkness and light right away. And you've been doing this ever since. But you, as a result of this, you have a sensitive heart, it seems to me, Steve, because you see the manifestations of this where others don't. And you gave that very unsettling Pew statistic. We don't. Obviously, it's worked its way into our lives here in the West, and we're not even cognizant that we've amalgamated some of these ideas, these these habits, these worldviews into our Christian worldview, that this idea of synchronicity that the New Age movement advances is being practiced by a lot of Christians as well. How do we discover whether or not this is in our own life? Because I want to root it out if it is. So how do I start taking a personal inventory to see if any of that junk has worked its way in? 
Well, the first thing you have to do is uh, not go above and beyond that which has been written. So like Paul told, told the church in Corinth, which was off the deep end, and there's some of their spiritual practices, hey, get back to what I told you. Get back to the instruction of the Lord. And uh, we need to you know, make sure everything we believe, everything we practice, everything in our life can be biblically justified. It's rooted in the Word of God. And unfortunately, only about 4 to 5% of Christians have actually read uh, the Bible. Um, there's a, a problem with theological illiteracy in the Church right now, but that is the main way that you can weed these things out of your life, is if you're in the Word. Jesus, or the Bible says in Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Um, the entry point is ignorance. And so we need to make sure, okay, am I believing in the Eastern principle of karma, for example? Well, the Bible says that Jesus took all of my sin upon himself. He was judged in my place. He was bruised for my iniquity. God's not going to hold me accountable for sin in my past if Jesus already paid my moral debt in full. It goes completely against the atonement, yet a lot of Christians believe in this principle of karma. They think they're going to get what's coming to them for something they did when they were 10. When Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom for many, he canceled, he, it says in Colossians 2, the record of offenses that was against us was nailed to the cross and done away with. So uh, we need to make sure that what we're believing, what we're practicing can be biblically rooted in the Word of God, because his Word is true, it's God-breathed, and it's really only the only, the only way to protect ourselves against this deception. If you don't take anything else away from the course of this conversation this hour, please retain what you heard Steve just say. The illumination of God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Lamp unto my path, light unto my feet. Let me take a break. We'll be right back. Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us, and thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. The Bible says the Word of God illuminates our walk through life. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without it, we stumble and fall. In the Market with Janet Partial is designed to help you look at the headlines of the day through the lens of Scripture. When you become a partial partner, you help to make this broadcast possible. And as a partial partner, you'll receive exclusive benefits. So why not become a partial partner today? Call 877-JANET-58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We are halfway through an absolutely fascinating conversation. And if you're just now getting into the car after work and you're going, what, what, what did you talk about? I love the 21st century technology. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Left-hand side, two words, past programs. Click it on. You can download the podcast and listen to this over and over and over again. And may I make another bold suggestion? If you know, love somebody who's a friend or a family member that you think is dabbling in this stuff, Deuteronomy, have nothing to do with it, but sometimes you need a really good teacher to help you know how to tell somebody that in love. I want you to listen to this podcast, share it with a friend as well. And also, I want to reference the book that Steve Bankhart has co-authored. It's called The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches. And I'm going to get to the end, Its Churches, in a minute. In the market with JanetParshall.org, click on the tab that says Program Details and Audio, takes you to the info page. Steve has a fabulous website for his apologetics ministry. I've got a link there. And then there's the new book on the right-hand side for you to look at as well. I'm going to take questions in a minute, Steve, but if I can, what drew you initially, you made reference to this concept of aliens. 
How does all of this work? You write about this in the book in a chapter called Space and Beyond Extraterrestrials in the New Age. What is the linkage here? Right. Well, in the New Age movement, extraterrestrials, the belief in extraterrestrials is a a staple doctrine in the New Age movement. But uh, what takes it to the next level is that people don't just believe extraterrestrials exist. They believe that they uh, are teaching us actively. So there's a lot of what's called channeled material, for example, or contact material that has been allegedly given by these aliens. And now when you read some of this channeled material, as I did, this is really what helped lead me into the New Age movement in the first place. Uh, It's explicitly antichrist. And so why are these... you know, uh, entities, these aliens, if they really are cosmic brothers and sisters, did they really travel millions and millions of light years just to tell us to deny the person and work of Jesus Christ? It's a really peculiar message for them to make, you know, they've, they've solved the gravity problem. They've solved the time-space problem. And now they're coming here to teach us New Age philosophy. It's very, very strange. And when you look at the ancient cultures that the New Age movement tells us uh, were visited by aliens, they all practice blood sacrifice. They all believe these entities were supernatural in nature. Um, I didn't know this when I was watching Ancient Aliens on the History Channel, I thought, wow, you know, here's some really good evidence. All these cultures seem to believe in aliens. Not a single culture in the world believed that these entities came from another planet. There's not a single text that says that, and yet here you have New Age teachers, such as David Wilcock, uh, pushing on this ancient aliens program that all these cultures believe that they were visited by extraterrestrials. And it's simply not the case. Um, It's a gateway into the New Age movement, and it was for me. And um, obviously, as Christians, we would say, you know, these are the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places described about uh, in Ephesians 6. Thank you for that answer, Steve. 877-548-3675. Bethany, you're in Tennessee. I welcome you. Your question, please. Hi, thank you. My question is about differentiating yoga between the spiritual aspects and the actual exercise. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not convinced from having studied yoga that they can be separated. So, so let me give you an example. Um, you know, the warm-up pose for yoga is a, a sun salutation and a moon salutation. So if somebody's saying, okay, I'm going to go to a yoga in, uh, studio as a Christian, and I'm just going to do yoga, and I'm not going to engage in any of the spiritual stuff. I'm just going to be there for the physical stuff. But you are literally exercising your members, your body, unto idols. This is literally what that practice is designed to do. These postures, a lot of them are actually named after the gods of Hinduism, and they're meant to invoke the properties and essences of these gods. That's why the practice was instantiated in the first place. And the word yoga actually means union, and refers to the state of union that between the individual self and the universal self called Brahman that uh, uh, practitioners are to come into a relationship with as they practice practice this. So yoga is just not stretching. It's Hinduism in practice. And my, my response would be, go to a chiropractor, go to a kinesiologist. Any back stretches you can get from, from any person like that have been scientifically shown to be just as effective in alleviating back pain as yoga. We don't need to be um, mixing darkness with light. That's just my opinion. Mm. And I thank you very much for the question. 877-548-3675. That's our number here. Scott, let me welcome you from Florida. Your question, please, for Steve. Hey, Steve. Um, I teach on the same topic that you do, and I can spot that you definitely know what you're talking about. Um, because you were in in the New Age for so long, it's probably very easy for you to spot when they try to do East-West synthesis into, say, for example, certain church venues. And you have you probably, in, have you, you can spot it, can't you? East-West synthesis? Could you define that, please? The synthesizing of New Age thought with a Christian doctrine, like where they sort of um, they dovetail together and try to sneak it in. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that one major example of that would be the uh, the extreme side of the Word of Faith movement, where you have this principle. It's in the New Age movement. It's called the Law of Attraction, where you're going to attract into your reality that which is aligned with your words, with your emotions, and with your energetic state. And uh, on the extreme end of the spectrum, there's this belief that hey, I'm going to attract into my my reality that which I'm declaring with my mouth, um, and it, it really treats God as a mechanism rather than as a personal creator, than as a personal father who can choose to answer and respond to our prayers as he wills. And, um, you know, it's really the law of attraction in practice, this belief that God is somehow obligated by nature to bring abundance into my life just because I'm making declarations over and over again. Uh, It's found nowhere in Scripture, but that is where, you know, this book called The Secret really popularized this idea. It's been promoted by Oprah Winfrey. A lot of Christians digest this material, and they treat God as a mechanism instead of a personal being, and that's not how prayer works. Yeah, excellent. Scott, thank you for the question. What is Christ alignment? You talk about this in the book. Right. That is a a ministry that has to do with basically using um, cards as a way to have the Holy Spirit bring through uh, prophetic words of knowledge in practice. And um, so basically it's meant to evangelize the people in the New Age movement. There's actually a lot of ministries. It's not just that one. There's a lot of ministries that are starting to use cards now in an attempt to reach the lost. And, um, you know, my question would be, well, what does the Bible say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? He he attributes to the Church the gifts as he wills. Uh, We can't just, you know, disguise something, uh, Christianity as paganism, to try and lure people in and then just roll the dice hoping we're going to get word of knowledge coming through uh, for these people. I don't think that, um, you know, that's a biblical methodology for evangelism. I don't see that that is something that, you know, the Apostle Paul would do, for example, but it's really the use of cards, uh, intuitive readings in Christianity, and I just don't think that's biblical. I think it's, at the very least, a stumbling block, um, if not, you know, an open door for a spirit of divination. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I'm thinking as you were talking about the use of cards, what's the difference between that and a tarot reader? I mean, if I've got the Word of God, that's the revelation. I'm not going to review or know what God wants by use of cards. That seems terribly mixing water and oil. It does, yeah. Um, They would say the cards are kind of a means by which the Holy Spirit will operate through to give words of knowledge to these people who are doing the readings. And you know what, maybe are there some well-meaning Christians in there? Sure. Are there people who are born again? Sure. Um, I don't agree with the methodology. I think it's dangerous. I think it's deceptive. Um, And I do think it is mixing light with dark. You know, what's the Bible say? Um, Have no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You know, come out from them. Come ye separate, and then I will receive you. Um, I think that what goes really, really far with New Agers is not Christians who look like New Agers, it's Christians who look like Jesus, because they see something in them, hey, that's different. I want what they have. I've never tried to mix New Age into my evangelism, and, you know, the largest New Age teacher of all time uh, credits my videos with helping lead her out of the New Age movement, actually, and it's just not necessary, in my opinion. Unbelievable. I have never heard of an angel board before. I guess that's good, because I'm in a church where we're not using one, but what is an angel board? An angel board is basically, uh, oh man, it's more of a um, uh, toned-down version of a Ouija board, at least in its marketing. In practice, it's the exact same. And this is meant to appeal to people who want to kind of have a safe way to contact the supernatural and to contact the spirit world. But obviously, the Bible says in Second Corinthians 11 that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. Who's to say that when you're trying to make contact with angels that you're not contacting a demon or Satan himself disguised as one of these angels? Um, the Bible actually puts 
the death penalty on these practices in the Old Testament, right? This is divination, this right. is spiritism, this is witchcraft by definition. And, and to have Christians embracing um, things that God abhors, that he calls an abomination, uh, to me it's, you know, a directly against the commands of Scripture and therefore puts you outside of the protective covering of the Father, makes you very susceptible to demonic influence and deception. By the way, and thank you for that answer, Steve. You have a whole section on yoga for people who go, wait, I'm in a yoga class. Oh, no, now I'm going to have to rethink this. Listen, you heard Steve say that's his opinion, but I commend the book to you because he has an expanded section on yoga and he makes a powerful case on why maybe you got to stop and rethink this and there's some other, other alternatives. You talked about karma before. You know, it's interesting. I'm not necessarily thinking that a lot of churches would outright use that, but they conceptualize that idea that what goes around comes around again. But uh, you also talk about, and here I do think we see this in some churches, This and we certainly see it in um, the theology of um, environmentalism, because really at its root, it seems to me, there's an awful lot of pantheism in that. Talk to me about that subject. Right. Well, uh, Pope Francis actually released a, a recent encyclical um, on the environment where he is calling the earth Mother Earth and saying, you know, she provides us with our food, with our water, she provides this, she provides us with life. And, um, I mean, that's reverencing the created world over the Creator. That's a very serious sin of idolatry, as outlined in Romans 1. But there's this belief in the New Age movement. It's really a staple doctrine that nature is somehow divine, that it's divine by nature. But the Bible teaches a creator-creation distinction. And the, the problem is, yes. is when you start to think that nature is divine and that creation itself is sacred and a part of God, you're necessarily also a part of God. Um, that's a, a gateway into self-godhood, extremely dangerous and completely contradicted by Scripture. I hope you are hearing the, what, the sirens and the red flags here. This is such an important conversation. Quiet, insidious, my mama used to say, devil's not going to show up in a red suit and a pitchfork. Far more sophisticated than that. Buyer beware. Back after this. Stephen Bankarts is with us. He was a former New Age practitioner, had an unbelievably successful website, and then he had an encounter with Jesus. And guess what? Old things pass away, all things become new. And now God has taken his experiences. You know, did you ever stop and think that nothing is wasted in God's classroom? He uses it all in the tutorial, right, and how he's going to use us. So that began in an apologetics ministry, and Steve has been doing that since 2015. He's co-authored a book called The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and its Churches. The book is so well-researched and documented. It's there on our website, 877-548-3675. Rachel, I want to bring you into the conversation from Indiana. Thank you for being here, and please go ahead with your question. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I am concerned because I'm working in an environment that uh, for a program that's within a church but isn't formally part of the church. We're just tenants of the building. And my big concern is that the new leadership is very has a lot of very new age philosophies that they're implement, wanting to implement and kind of infiltrating. I think I'm the only Christian believer in among them. There's about well, four of us, and I don't know how to fight against some of these principles. They had a, had us, you know, he wanted us to say a prayer and light a candle on the New Year's Day. We had some very new age message. How do I, what do I say and how do I combat that without alienating myself or becoming the outsider of my workplace? 
Well, I would encourage you to pray uh, first and foremost to see if this if this is actually where the Lord would have you uh, um, continue working. I don't know how much their practices are going to progress down that rabbit hole of New Age, um, but my mother actually worked at a church, and they started to incorporate little things like this here and there, here and there, and it finally culminated where they had a uh, a native. Uh, a native drum circle and smudging ceremony in the church that she was working in, and she had to leave. She was like, I quit. This goes against my conscience. So the Bible does say, whatever is not of faith is a sin. Um, so I'm not telling you to leave your job, but I would encourage you to, to pray, prayfully uh, consider, you know, Lord, what is your timing? Uh, what is your will for me in this situation? Um, I would say, hey, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to start dialogues with people there, uh, in particular other Christians, and say, hey, how does this make you feel? Um, see if you can get some other people to come into agreement with you, that would be a helpful support. But also, um, maybe you guys can help shift the dynamic of some of the practices that are going on there. So I would say be communicative about your concerns with other people, uh, co-workers of yours as well. Thank you, Rachel. We appreciate you being here. 877-548-3675. Joe, welcome. Your question, please. Yes. Um, I have a brother I've been praying for for 30 or 40 years that seems to be very involved with a mixture of Hinduism and Buddhism and New Age movement. He believes in reincarnation, for example, and interstellar and all that kind of stuff. I pray for him. I have a good relationship with him. What would you recommend and how to reach him? The last time I tried to talk to him, which was three or four years ago, about Christianity, he became hostile. Yeah, I mean, I would say you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. Um, ultimately, he has to humble himself before God, and then God will uh, have mercy on him, right? He, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So you can't fulfill the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life. Um, you're not responsible for his salvation. You're responsible for what he hears from you, but you're not responsible for him for him actually being saved or not saved. That's the ministry and role of the Holy Spirit, and I do believe he has to humble himself in order to receive that. Um, I would encourage you to continue persisting on, um, to not allow the, the years that have passed or his frustration to deter you from being obedient to that burden that you have for your brother, I would say um, something that really goes a long way with New Agers is if we can out-love them, um, how loving are we being? And uh, I messed up in my early walk by not being loving enough. They were more loving than me. And for a New Ager, they think that love is evidence of a person being in the truth. And so um, I would encourage you to, to love on him. Maybe God's calling you to a season where, hey, he wants you to just really come alongside him as a friend and love on him. Be that example, that living example of Christ and his love in his life. I would just encourage you in that. Mm. Joy, thank you so much. Let me ask if I can, please, about prayer labyrinths and contemplative prayer. Right. Well, prayer labyrinths is basically something happening in Baptist churches now where it's meant to be for, for inner healing, and you walk through this maze, and in paganism, this is used in paganism, the actual labyrinth is usually dedicated to some kind of god or goddess, and it's meant to be this sort of uh, cosmic initiation into a relationship with your higher self or with the forces of nature or with the universe or with God. It's meant to be some—it's a, it's a pagan initiation experience and a healing experience that's meant to purge um, old emotions and old feelings and to illuminate and bring you into a union with, uh, you know, your higher self or with some pagan idea of God or with one of the gods or goddesses of paganism or with the quote-unquote healing forces at work in the world. And unfortunately, churches are doing this thinking that it's going to be somehow healing for uh, – I don't know where they get that from. I, I don't know how they think that's going to be healing for Christians. I mean, just do Christian counseling. I don't understand that. Something you mentioned as well, uh, 
is to contemplate a prayer. And this was invented by a, a group of, of Catholic mystics who really, they're, they're New Agers. Here's what they say about God. God and our true self are not separate. God and our true self are the same thing. So these are the people teaching us contemplative prayer, which is now, by the way, being embraced by a lot of mainstream evangelicals, which is this practice of, of basically choose a mantra, a Christianized mantra in your head. It can be a word, a prayer, a Bible verse, and you're going to repeat it in your head over and over and over again until you reach stillness of mind. And then you're just going to sit there in stillness of mind because they believe that God exists in a state of, quote-unquote, pure consciousness. So you want to reach a state of pure consciousness uh, and leave what they call, quote-unquote, ordinary consciousness, where you can re- enter into what they call, quote, unity consciousness with God. Um, it's literally meditation and mindfulness with you know, a Christian label slapped onto it. That's all it is. There's no vertical connection between you and God. You're sitting there using Bible verses as a means to an end of shifting your own brainwave state and shifting your own consciousness. And it's paganism in practice, as far as I'm concerned. You're just, how, you can't be vigilant there. You can't test the spirits there. You can't bring every thought captive there. You're literally, it's a spiritual open house for the demonic, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Wow. Steve, this has just flown. I, I want to encourage you. Every single one of our lines is lit, and I'm at the end of the hour. So I'm going to ask that you clear your calendar sometime in the not-too-distant future, and you come back and we do nothing but take questions for the full hour, because I know that you've you've probably touched on some toes, and that's okay. Wake up, test all things, sift and weigh. Let's not be deceived. You know, remember that passage in Scripture that says, even the righteous will be deceived? When I was a little girl growing up, I used to say, Lord, please don't ever let that happen to me. Well, Steve hit the nail on the head when he said the way that doesn't happen is by you staying absolutely in the Word of God. We're going to talk more, I hope, in the future. Steve, thank you so, so much. The book is called The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches. We'll see you next time. But in the meantime, check out the website to learn more. My thanks to Steve Bankars and you. We'll see you next time.